Amen. This morning we start a new series of messages on uh, the Paul's epistle to the Thessalonians. As you can see, the uh, title of this series, this series of messages is going to be First uh, Thessalonians, The Imitation of Christ. Now, I don't want you to get your hopes up and uh, anticipate that there is going to be a PowerPoint every week because there is not, unless Pastor Phil is preaching, and then you can expect it. But if I'm up here, probably not. But this morning, by God's grace, uh, we have a PowerPoint that you can follow along as we do a uh, little introduction into the uh, letter to the Thessalonians as we seek to better understand uh, what will be the terrain as we go through this blessed, inspired work of God. Amen? Amen. The Imitation of Christ. Perhaps some of you are familiar with that title, but it, is, it comes um, to us from a book. A book that was written in the 15th century by a monk. His name was Thomas uh, Kempis. The Imitation of Christ, ever since the time that he had written it in the 15th century, has been one of the most beloved books in all of the world. Next to the Bible, it is the most read devotional book in history. Sir Thomas More said about the book that it is the book next to the Bible that every Christian should own. John Wesley said that it is the best summary of the Christian life that he had ever read. It is a book that was written nearly 500 years ago. And yet it is a book that still has import and is still making impression upon Christians even today. Thomas Akempis writes, We must imitate Christ's life and his ways if we are to be truly enlightened and set free from the darkness of our own hearts. Let it be the most important thing we do. And what Thomas Kempis did was he touched upon the heartbeat of Christianity, this desire to know Christ, the desire to be like Christ. He wanted to be like Christ. He wanted to encourage other saints to be like Christ. And what Thomas Akempis was doing, beloved, was simply reflecting, as it were, what the Bible commends to us every day. And that is the person and work of Jesus. Trust in the person and work of Jesus, reflecting upon the person and work of Jesus, and then living in the light of the person and work of Jesus. This is what Thomas Akempis was seeking to do in the book, The Imitation of Christ. But long before Thomas Akempis wrote his words, the Holy Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the Thessalonian Christians and remind them of their need and commend them for imitating 
Jesus. The imitation of Christ. We read in Acts chapter 17 that Paul on his second missionary trip along with Silas first enters into Thessalonica. In 16, you might remember that they left Philippi and after leaving Philippi, they go to Thessalonica. And there in Thessalonica, they begin to preach. They begin to preach in the synagogue. You can read in chapter 16 of Acts that there is no synagogue in Philippi. So they're preaching on the streets and they are arrested and thrown in, in jail. But in Thessalonica, there is a synagogue. And in Thessalonica, they begin to preach in the synagogue. And they preach, the Bible says, for several Sabbaths in the synagogue, proclaiming Jesus Christ, opening the word of God to those Jewish Christians there in Thessalonica's synagogue. Thessalonica was an important city, as was most of the cities that Paul visited. You might know and be reflecting upon his strategy. His strategy was to go to those important cities, those grand metropolises that were in that day. And he'd go to those important cities, understanding to establish the Christian faith in these key ports where there's a lot of people and there's bustling activity and knowing that if, they, if, the, if Christianity can get a foothold in those places, it will go out from those places. And ultimately, the goal was for Christ to reach the world. In Thessalonica, there were some 100,000 people living in this bustling capital of the Macedonian territory. When Paul came there, there was no church, and they began to preach, and they began to teach, and as he will say later on in, in the letter to the Thessalonians, he spent much time there instructing them and teaching them, and he and Silas established the church, but everybody was not pleased, as you can imagine, with the preaching of Jesus Christ. And the reminding them and the proclaim and the proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord and Messiah. And, and therefore, they attacked Paul. In fact, they attacked Jason. You might remember in Acts chapter 17, they attacked Jason. Jason was the one who was hosting in his home, Paul and Silas. And they attacked Jason. And in attacking Jason, they ran Paul and Silas out of town. And Paul and Silas go from Thessalonica down to Corinth. And while in Corinth, for quite a bit of time, they wanted to hear how was the young church in Thessalonica doing. And so what does Paul do? He sends Timothy. Go back up to Thessalonica. Report to us how this young church is getting along. And when Timothy comes back, he reports that they're, Paul, they are getting along. They are growing, but as a young church, they are going through growing pains. They're having some issues. There's some things that they don't understand. There's some people who are not living faithfully. There's some people wondering how are they to live faithfully under present circumstances. When Paul hears this report from Timothy, he pens this letter to the Thessalonians and sends it back to 
them. He loved the saints in Thessalonica, in fact. It is widely believed that this here letter is the very first You could see his sentiment in the letter, knowing that they were under duress and knowing that they in some way were suffering persecution, knowing that they were small children, as it were, in the faith, and understanding what children need. Children need affection. Children need encouragement. Children need direction. That is parents. Preferably that is what we're seeking to do with our children. This is what God seeks to do with his children. Encouragement and affection, discipline and direction. And all of these are found, beloved, in the imitation of Christ. And so we see this is what Paul does. He writes to them to encourage them, to express his affection, to give them direction and Discipline. For a young church, beloved, there is nothing better. There is no greater encouragement than to point them to Jesus. To call them to see Jesus. To call them to emulate Jesus. In fact, that's really what it means to be a Christian. The word Christian means belonging to Christ. Or if you want to put it in a simpler term, it means little Christ. Little Christ. It's what it means. That you are a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, therefore, you are seeking to emulate Jesus. And that's the word we have for us. This morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul writes, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Imitators. Christianity, beloved, is a copycat religion. It's what it is. It is a copycat religion. And the word that we have here, the Greek word for imitate, is memetes. Memetes. And we get the English word there, you guessed it, mimic. Mimic. You are to mimic Jesus. Imitate Jesus. 
emulate Christ. And it's not the first time we see this. This is not the only time we see this in the Scriptures. The Scriptures over and over again remind us that Christianity is a copycat religion. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitators of God as beloved children. Isn't that what children do? Imitate their parents. Emulate their parents until they get too big in the britches and think they know better than them. But in their innocence, indeed, in their youth, they look up to their parents and seek to emulate them. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. The Apostle John says in 3 John 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Imitate good. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 12 says, Imitate those who through faith inherited what was promised. Imitate those who through faith inherited what was promised. Did you see all the emulation that is to be going on there? You ought to imitate God. And Paul says, imitate me. And John says, imitate what is good. And the writer of Hebrews says, imitate all those who have walked by faith and inherited the promises. They are roadmaps that, the God, that God has given us in the lives of others that we are to look at and behold those who have walked faithfully with God and God says, imitate them. Imitate them. And there is no one better, beloved. There is no one as good and as blessed and more worthy of imitating than Christ himself. First epistle to the Thessalonians is the inspired word of God to a young church to say, keep your eyes on Jesus. Imitate him. The Apostle Paul, the very outset of this letter, sets the agenda. He opens the letter, in this sense, with the trifecta virtues of Christianity. And he sets the agenda. He really sets the agenda for the whole letter in verses 2 and 3, where he opens up with this trifecta of Christian virtues, right? Faith, hope, and love. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. Your work of faith, 
your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. Here are the guiding principles as we make our way through uh, 1 Thessalonians over the next coming months. These messages will be framed, as it were, concerning these, and I will add one more, Christian virtue. These are the roadmap by which the Bible is calling us to imitate Christ. Faith, hope, love, and holiness. This is what we're going to find as we make our way through 1 Thessalonians. Paul commending to them faith. Paul commending to them hope. Paul commending to them love. Paul commending to them holiness. All of this pointing back to Christ and saying you can do these and have these because these were found first in Jesus. You ought to emulate him. Emulate him. Imitate Christ in faith, beloved. This we will find throughout the letter to the Thessalonians. For the Thessalonians were a young church seeking to be faithless in a, seeking to be faithful in a faithless world. Much like you and I are. And we know that in a world that is faithless, there is nothing more important than being encouraged and commended to believe and trust in God. Faith in God. And this was the foundation of the church in Thessalonica. It was faith in God. And and, 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 in the second chapter, in verse 13, you read these words. That when they received the word of God, which they heard from Paul, notice what he says. You accepted it not as the word of men but as what it really is, the Word of God. Understanding that the church was not founded upon the Word of men. It was founded upon the Word of God. And even though men, Paul and Silas, were instruments, The faith of the Thessalonians was that they knew that they were hearing the word of God as it was preached. They had trusted God's word when it came to them. And Paul writes back to them and he wants them to continue trusting in God's word. Trust in God's word. And trust in God is what believers live upon. It is what begins the Christian life. It is what sustains the Christian life, beloved. And therefore, when Paul is seeking to establish this young church again, 
he reminds them that you were one with the word of God. Why is that so important, beloved? That is so important because what you win them with, you win them too. What you win them with, you win them too. And Paul says, you were a church that was established on the word of God. It's not a, there was no pony shows. We didn't come doing tricks. We weren't there seeking to establish social programs. You were established upon the preaching of the word of God. Stand on it. Believe in it. Trust in it. Make sure your faith is founded upon it. Why? Because this is what Jesus did, beloved. Put his trust in God. He put his trust in God's word from the very beginning. He put his trust in God. Matthew chapter 4, there in the wilderness as he is being tempted by Satan to get off course and to do things outside of the will of the Father who has sent him and Satan is tempting him on every hand. And what does Jesus say? It is written. It is written. My faith and trust is in the word of God all the way to the end, beloved. Were there on the cross. The very last words our, words our Lord spoke. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. From beginning to end, beloved, it was trust and belief and faith in God. Imitate Christ who trusted God. Stand fast upon his word. Imitate Christ in the faith. We will see this theme coming up again and again. Another theme that we will see coming up again and again is this idea of imitating Christ in hope. Imitating Christ in hope. Faith is the foundation of the Christian faith. Then hope, beloved, is the backbone. Hope is the backbone. It's what keeps us going. It's what keeps us upright. Keeps us a wreck. It's the point, beloved. All that we do. It's the point of our preaching. It is the goal of our fellowship. That you and I would hope in God. That's why, that's why you walk in these doors week in and week out. Our goal here at this church is that you would hope in God. That's what Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. Why? Because they were struggling. There are two things, beloved, that eats that hope. 
two things that eats at your hope, eats at my hope, and they were eating at the hope of the Christians in Thessalonica. And that is time and adversity. Time and adversity. The longer you have to wait, the more you lose hope. The more trouble comes, the more you tend to lose hope. Time and adversity are the great enemies of hope. And this is what the Thessalonians were struggling with. And this is what you and I are struggling with. God is taking too long to do what I want him to do. Or it's just too hard to hold on and do the right thing. Too much time. Too much adversity. Beloved, Thessalonians were suffering from both. You read throughout this epistle and you see and you're reminded that they were being persecuted. They were in trouble on every hand. There were enemies coming at them outside the church. There were enemies seeking to infiltrate the church. There were those who had died, who had been martyred for the faith, and they couldn't understand how is it that we as faithful to God, that God would allow many of us to die. Where is he? I thought you said Jesus was coming back. I thought you said we were safe in God. It led time and eternity cause some of them to lose heart. To wonder if Jesus was coming back. To, to wonder what happened to those who died. We thought we were all going to see Jesus. What happened now? They're dead. When Jesus comes, what's going to happen? And Paul writes to them. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate, again, there are those... That is that trifecta of virtue, breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. Why? For God has not destined us for wrath. He has not destined you for wrath. But what? But you will obtain salvation. You just hold on. Hope in God. Why, beloved? Hope is so important because you and I must realize that God doesn't just lead us to trouble. He leads us through trouble. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Trouble's coming. Trouble's coming. Paul isn't here. He isn't advocating that nonsense of health and wealth. He is not saying that you will not have any problems in your life anymore. He is not saying that you won't get sick, that you won't lose your job. He is not saying that your bank account won't hit rock bottom. 
He is not saying that she or he will never walk out. But he is saying that the God who leads you to trouble always leads you through trouble. He led the nation of Israel to the Red Sea, and then he led them through the Red Sea. He led them to the wilderness, and then he led them through the wilderness. He led David to Goliath, and then he led David through Goliath. And that's why David could say in Psalm 23, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I walk through it. Why? Because he is with me. And he has not appointed me for wrath. Salvation. This is why, beloved, he led Christ to the cross and to the grave, but then through the cross and through the grave. And so now, beloved, the hope of every Christian, you put on that helmet of hope is that you, no matter how difficult it gets in this world, are not destined to wrath. But your hope is established. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, those who have died in him will be raised to see him. And those who are alive and remain, they too then will be caught up to meet him. Hope in God. Christ did. The backbone of Christianity is hope for our Lord, our Lord and Savior is but the first fruits. And it's promised that all in him when one day obtain that hope of glory as well. Imitate Christ in hope. Imitate Christ in love. If faith is the foundation and hope the backbone, then love is the heartbeat of Christianity. Faith is the foundation. Hope is the backbone, and love is the heart that beats Christianity. Paul knew their love for him, and he wrote to them to express his love for them and to encourage them to keep loving. Keep loving. Keep loving. Keep loving God. Keep loving each other. Keep loving your neighbors. It's the calling card. It's the calling card of Christianity. Is it not? Yes, it is. It's what Jesus said in John 13 and 35. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And I know you're a Christian just because you say it. And I know you belong to him because you have love for one another. Love for one another. 
Christ embodied love with us. Nobody can argue with that. Christ embodied love. Even those who don't like Jesus admit that. You and I and no one can seriously say they are a Christian and seeking to emulate Christ who is not loving. This is what Paul says to the Thessalonians then in chapter 4 and verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, but I'm doing it anyway. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Beloved, this is Christianity 101. Love one another. If you don't know anything else, when the Apostle John gets to the end of his life and he is an old man and unable to articulate all the finer points of theology, he says, beloved, I just have one thing to say. Love one another. Christianity 101. And Paul says, I don't need to tell you this. Because you know God, God's telling you this every day. Love one another. Love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But I urge you, brothers and sisters, to do this more and more and more and more. Love even more. He's going to come back to this theme. We'll be coming back to this theme again and again. Why? Because you can't love too much. Oh, you might think you can, but you can't. In fact, I take a poll this morning. Who has loved enough this morning? Who has loved enough this morning? Who has loved God enough this morning? Who has loved their spouse enough this morning? Who has loved their children enough and their co-workers enough and their friends and their families and their neighbors? Who has loved enough this morning? Raise your hand. That's right, beloved. And that's why Paul says, I know what you've been doing, but you need to do it more and more. And more. This is the heartbeat of Christianity, beloved. Loving God and loving each other. And we need to do it more, more, and more. Have you spoken a word of encouragement? Speak some more. Have you offered a smile and a hug? Offer some more. Have you held your tongue and sought the good of others rather than the vindication of yourself? Do it again! That's what love is. Have you sought to lift somebody else up 
even at the expense of your own esteem. Do it some more. That's what love is. Paul says, I know what you're doing. It's known all throughout Macedonia. And he doesn't say, that's good. You know what he says? He says, do it some more. Do it some more. That's what love does. Emulate Christ in love. Imitate imitate Christ in faith. Imitate Christ in hope. Beloved, imitate Christ in holiness. Like us, beloved, the Thessalonians lived in a culture that was swimming, that was infested, as it were, waters, infested with sexual immorality. Not much different than our day. And there are, dare I say that we have taken it to depths and degrees that would make the Thessalonians shameful. And Paul is reminding Christians in a culture, in a world that is saturated with immorality, the idea is not to try to find out how close and how much you can become like them but rather how can you distinguish yourself for Jesus? Holiness has hit on hard times in our day. We just don't want to talk about it anymore. Or when they do talk about it, they think of it, they think of it in terms of women who can't wear makeup and can't wear pants, can't go to movies, no drinking, playing cards, only listening to gospel music. Well, beloved, there probably are some clothes that you shouldn't wear, and there probably is some music you probably shouldn't be listening to, and there probably is some movies you probably shouldn't be going to. Probably a few of us do drink too much. But holiness, beloved, It's not a matter of externals, but holiness is an affair of the heart. And this is what we will see, and this is what we will learn. Holiness is an affair of the heart. What does it mean to be holy? It doesn't mean that I don't do this or I don't do that. It means that I am contented in Christ. That's what holiness is. The holy person is the contented person. Holiness in the Bible is happiness. The holy person is the happy person because the happy person is contented in Christ. I'm holy and I'm happy. Why? 
Because, beloved, I don't have to dress in such a way that causes attention to my chest or my legs or my midriff because I am satisfied with Jesus. I don't have to get any guy's attention. I have the attention of Jesus. I don't have to lie down with every woman who smiles at me because I am satisfied with Christ. And I'm happy. That's what holiness is, beloved. A holy person, you don't have to keep reminding them of all these external things. They're hoping in God. They're satisfied in Jesus. They're not looking for the affirmations of men and women and of their peers. They have the affirmation of Christ. And they are satisfied and happy with him. This is what holiness is. It is a heart satisfied with Jesus. And this is why Paul could tell the Thessalonians in 4 and 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And rather than hoping in what the culture is hoping in, you're hoping in Jesus. Your satisfaction is in him. And I know, I know, beloved, the struggle is real. I know it is. Single people think it's only real for them. And that's a lie of the devil. It is real for everyone. We are living in a sex-crazed culture. And you do not have the TV on for five minutes when this culture doesn't remind you of it. You don't drive down the street for two or three blocks, but that this culture reminds you of it. You don't listen to the news for 10 minutes, but that your mind is drawn away to unholy things. And it is real for everyone. But beloved, you need to know Jesus does not command us to do anything that he did not first embrace himself. For you have a Savior, a great high priest, who has been touched by your infirmities. He knows the struggle is real. And this is why you and I can look to him. And this is why we will, as we seek to understand better. And Pastor Phil preaches four or five messages on holiness. Imitating Christ, beloved. That's the goal. Christianity is a copycat religion. It's a copycat religion. We are to look to Christ, 
in fact, not only should we look to Christ, but we should be living lives that are worth emulating. That's what Paul says to Timothy, a young preacher in the faith. Paul says, let no one despise you for your youth. But he says, but set the believers an example. Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Set an example. This is what Christians do. Set an example. This is why Paul could say with amazing confidence, I might add, you follow me as I'm following Christ. Beloved, there's two questions I want you to ask yourself. Even as we're going through Thessalonians, ask yourself the question. One, who am I imitating? Because we all imitate somebody. Ah, you may not want to admit it. You have people you look up to. Be honest and ask yourself, who am I trying to be like? Is it Jesus? Is it Christ? And then ask yourself the follow-up question. What kind of life will those who imitate me lead? Because not only are we to be seeking to follow Christ, we are to be seeking to have others follow us as we follow Christ. Paul said to the Thessalonians, you imitated us and the Lord. Can someone faithfully emulate your life and it lead them into a better relationship with Jesus? you're married this morning, ask yourself the question, could a young couple follow the example the way I love my wife? Could a young lady follow the example of the way that I serve my husband? You're single this morning? Ask yourself the question, could other singles around me follow me and my example as I point myself and them to Christ? Wherever you are this morning, whether it's in the workplace, in the home, in the neighborhood, in the church, in the school, Am I following Christ? And can others follow me to where he is? Long before there was LeBron James. Long before there was Stephen Curry. There was a man they called Air Jordan. Michael was his name. His airness, they called him. And ever since Michael Jordan, everyone has been trying to find the next Michael Jordan. Well, I got news for you. There isn't one coming. They put out a commercial. Gatorade, I think it was. 
It's a popular commercial because me and all my friends and everybody I knew wanted to be like Mike. I want to be like Mike. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You got to see that's how I dream to be. Boom, ba boom, boom, boom. Dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike. If I can be like Mike, well, beloved, that's all well and good. The Christian doesn't dream of being like Mike. The Christian dreams of being like Christ. I want to be like Christ. If I can be like Christ, be like Christ, like Christ. If I can be like Christ, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Christ. If I can be like Christ. We walk through 1 Thessalonians. May God give us a clearer vision of who Jesus is. And may we walk after him and show others how they may do the same. Let's pray.